Firsts can be rough. First day at school, first day on the job, first date. Dr. Scott Russo remembers the first day running his own lab. I remember it vividly. Security wouldn't let me in. I was standing out front for about an hour until one of the department members came in and vouched for me. So it, it it started off a little bit rocky. And then by the time I got up to my office, I sat down and I was completely alone. Right. I had nobody in my lab yet. I hadn't interviewed people yet. And there was just this sense of, what, what do I do from here? Scott didn't expect to feel this way. He'd gone through grad school. He'd done his postdoc. He'd spent a ton of time in labs. But as he sat there, he realized that he had no idea how to actually run a lab. Nobody had ever taught him. Welcome to Success at Sinai a podcast about how to build your career in academic medicine at Mount Sinai. I'm John Earl. Today, we're going to be talking about lab management. Now, I know it's not the most exciting subject, but it's really important. And that's because a well-run lab is both more productive and much more pleasant to work in than one that's poorly run. But how do you find the right people? How do you create a team that works well together? How do you resolve conflicts within the lab? To get at these questions, I held a roundtable with three faculty members, and over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear snippets from their conversation. I'll jump into recap as we go along. Okay, time to meet our panelists. I'm um, Lakshmi Devi. I'm uh, the Dean for Academic Development and also a professor in the Department of Pharmacological Sciences and Neuroscience and Psychiatry. My name is Scott Russo. I'm an Associate Professor of Neuroscience and the director of the Center for Affective Neuroscience. I'm Talia Swartz, assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases, and also associate director of the MD-PhD program at Mount Sinai. When we left off, Scott had barely made it past security. Now he was sitting in his lab all alone, wondering what to do next. He knew it was time to hire some staff, but he wasn't sure how. Our panelists had some ideas. When we started the lab, you're so eager to hire the first person that you don't um, take time to get the right person. There is, there is no metric to tell you, you know, what is the right fit for you. You have to sort of go, you know, you have to interview a number of people. You have to uh, get the rapport going together. Um, and a couple uh, lessons I have learned, and one is to give... Uh, the new trainee, a trial period to see exactly whether the person is going to be able to work as a team with the group. And the the goal realization of the new trainee is the same as that of your goals. Uh, If they have different goals, it is going to work out or not. So the trial period becomes very important. You accept them to the lab to see whether it's a good fit. Lakshmi brings up a really important point. What you ultimately have to do is you have to pick personality traits that first mesh well with you, but then give the final responsibility to your lab members. I mean, I, I feel like that's the way I've, I've built a team in which everybody feels that they're vested. So when I have a candidate that, that I think is, is a good fit, I have them interview with my lab and, and I let my lab make the last decision. And ultimately, when, when, when they decide who they want to work with, it works better, and I, and I feel as though the cohesion is, is tighter under those circumstances. 
Um, I, I agree 100%. I think that having a, a culture of collaboration where people enjoy working together is hugely successful. Um, when I was looking to hire the first person, my research assistant, um, I was looking for somebody who had a lot of expertise or some background in in our area of research, and I couldn't find anybody like that. Uh, but I did find a lot of people who were very enthusiastic and seemed passionate about the work that we were doing, um, and that's ultimately what what I ended up doing was was bringing somebody in who hadn't didn't have a specific background in that area, but um, was a quick learner and very excited about adapting to the environment and joining um, my group and my mentor's group, and that's been very successful. Use trial periods. Get your team members' input. And bring on people who are passionate and enthusiastic. This is all great advice. But the most important thing might be this. Set expectations. Here's Lakshmi. Setting expectations and setting it out right from the beginning actually resolves many of the conflicts that might arise later. And this is something that I've seen over and over again when the mutual expectation is not understood or the expectation is not understood mutually between the two groups. I have seen a lot of problems go south because clear expectations were not set at the outset. And so I think the as much as you can anticipate in advance, the better to communicate that. And feedback doesn't feel so bad if you've set it up at the beginning and you've and you've explained that we'll check in regularly and I want you to tell me how things are going and I'm going to tell you how I think things are going and I want to work together to improve things as needed. I think that sets an environment where people feel comfortable speaking to you and uh, working to make improvements. I hear this a lot too uh, on various committees that I serve on. There seems to be kind of a lack of communication uh, amongst the people within the lab from the PI all the way to postdocs and students. Uh, to the point where where a lot of people don't even talk about expectations. They don't talk about what their career expectations are. They don't talk about what authorship expectations are. Um, I try to keep those boundaries fluid but uh, structurally intact so that people know what it is that they want, what they need, and um, but yet fluid enough so that people can kind of work together on things. And so a good example of that, I guess, is with authorship. Um, authorship is probably one of the biggest issues for prob- you know, for, for things to come up in the lab and, and misunderstandings actually to come up in the lab. And so um, I always make sure that projects are defined, but that they're open enough so that people can collaborate on things because you don't want to staunch that. Okay, so you've assembled your team and now you need to make sure that they work like one. Holding lab meetings is one way, but there are lots of others. I've thought about this a lot. And I can't give you the answer. I can just say that I've always set a tone in the lab which fostered collaborative efforts. I mean, the kind of work that we do cannot be done by an individual in isolation. Um, And so everybody has to pull their fair share. And I've always made that issue an important one uh, from the minute that a person joins my lab. And so it's just assumed that you're going to help out on these projects and that you're going to collaborate and that you're going to work together. But I do think one one issue that will absolutely prevent collaboration is if you put people on projects that are similar and overlapping and people feel as though their territory is being encroached on, they pull back 
they don't share as much. You know, they may mislabel things just so people don't know what they're doing in the lab. And so I try to create real boundaries between people's projects so that doesn't occur. I think that's a huge problem. Well, you mentioned in, in passing that they do go out together and socialize together. I think those kinds of activities, out of lab activities, are great positive influence on them coming together, you know, having, having an uh, external meeting. Yeah, there's no question. Our lab lunches are, are the unifying um, force um, in the lab and everybody looks forward to them and they, and we call, we call them like lab meeting 2.0 or something. And we'll of course talk about science at, at those settings, but um, it's, it's a bonding experience and, and it's then those sort of relationships that are built that help to inform the, I think the collaborative environment during lab meeting, because it's a group of people who are like-minded and, you know, become friends. And so they feel comfortable providing feedback to each other during lab meeting. So I, I think it is the combination of the in the lab and the outside that helps to, to make the team work. Sometimes a lab member just doesn't fit, no matter how many lab lunches you have. What do you do then? When things are not working out to really cut your losses, it becomes very important. Even if it is two years, three years in the lab, it has not been working out, just dragging them on. And then um, even at the end of the day, trying to get them to graduate or to get them to finish their postdoctoral training two years, in addition to the three years that didn't work out, doesn't, doesn't help anybody. So as soon as you realize it doesn't, doesn't work, is not working out, rather than the PI thinking that it is their personal failure that the person, the trainee is not working out, is to actually understand that that is not working out and have a conversation and have an open conversation, not an antagonistic one. And that becomes very, very important. So I've been lucky. I mean, the people in my lab have been a joy to work with overall. So, um, but I think, you know, under circumstances where you've come in contact with or have a situation in the lab that doesn't seem resolvable, you know, sometimes you have to make an executive decision. If it's a postdoc, then get them to a point where they can move on to another position. If it's a student, then you need to get their paper published and, and, and graduate them uh, for the health of your lab because there's more than one person in there. So. so I also fortunately have not had that experience in, in my own uh, research, but I work with a lot of students who have communicated this to me based on their relationships with their mentors. And um, it is really important to listen and understand what the nature of the problem is. There are often communication problems between the student and the mentor, and there are often motivational problems on, on the part of the student because of repeated failures or misunderstandings or, or you know, technical um, pitfalls. And so it is maybe multiple conversations to, to understand exactly what the nature of the problem is, but I don't think there's one approach to say this is, this is what you do. So here's something that surprised me. Scott said the hardest thing he deals with every day is balancing demands on his time, like offers to join a committee or take on more teaching duties. In the end, it's kind of a balancing act. The issue is, is that you have to manage your time so that you always protect enough time to keep your lab funded, and if you don't, then you don't pay your salary and you have a hard time staying here. Um, but on the flip side of that, if you say no too often, 
I think you get a reputation of being uh, uh, non-collegiate or, you know, being selfish. Uh, and so you have to remember the fact that you probably will need help from somebody in the future. And if you've said no to too many things in the past, they may not want to help you. Um, the advice that I received, which I think is really helpful, is to create a harmonious division of your time. And the general scheme that I have adopted was the advice that Lakshmi gave me a few years ago, which I love, which is to say no to things that don't fit in three categories, right? Fame, fortune, and fun. And so I think that that's amazing. It's very helpful um, and has really helped me to frame the decisions that I've made along the way. Will these help to contribute to my either science or clinical practice or educational objectives? Um, and if not, then then that's a good opportunity to say no. That's good advice, though, Lakshmi. I like that. Three Fs? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I asked all three of our panelists to describe their favorite manager. Here's what they said. All of my mentors who have been supportive um, have been empathic, and the science has been the primary driver, but they have also been people and recognized the specific needs of each individual person in their group. And this gets to the question of mentoring. Um, you have mentors at all stages of career, and it's important to take advantage of them all along the way. And there's nothing that says that you shouldn't when you're starting out, ask lots of questions of your mentors and, and develop new ones uh, to help guide you because it's not a vacuum. This seems like sucking up, but this is actually Dean Charney. Early on, for the first when I was asked to take on this position, he has, I said that, um, you know, how do you know I would be a right fit? And then he said, good people will be on this bus and the people that don't fit will be off the bus, Right. So I'm asking you to be on the bus. Uh, I was doubting myself, and he saw the potential that, that I had and that it could grow f further, right? So that, that's a good team leader. I was a postdoc with our current uh, dean of basic science, Eric Nessler, and he's probably the most organized and proactive individual I've ever met. I'll tell you one story, which I think... Um, at least gives insight into his level of success. I was a second year assistant professor and I had just resubmitted my first R01 application and I got it scored in a single digit percentile. And um, the PO said it was going to be funded and I saw him in the hallway. And he was really proud. You know, he got a big smile on his face. He said, I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. He goes, now what are you going to do for your renewal? I hadn't gotten a single dollar from that grant. Um, and he was already talking about what my f next five-year grant was going to be. And I think, again, you know, um, that's a good piece of advice because if you're always thinking about your lab funding in these five-year chunks, you stay better prepared. We've covered a lot of ground, from trial periods to setting expectations to using the three Fs, fame, fortune, and fun, to manage demands on your time. Now it's time for final thoughts. I think listening is so important, both from the people in the lab and also from above, understanding the expectations all around you and trying to, to figure out how to best meet the needs of the people working on your team, the people who are setting expectations for you, and 
um, paying attention and checking in regularly to make sure that things are going in the right way. Because if you if you don't listen, then you can miss things, and that would be the way to derail. Um, and listening is not easy. It means sort of suspending your biases and and really paying attention to, to what people are saying and how to best help them help you. One of the problems that we have when starting an independent position and building a team is letting go, uh, not micromanaging and kind of letting your team direct you or help to direct you in the science because they're the ones that are doing it. Uh, we tend to want them to follow the stream of thought or consciousness that we wrote in the grant that we wrote to fund the work. And so try to step back. I know it's hard. Try to, you know, relieve yourself of your micromanagerial tendencies and let the people in your lab kind of guide the, the science and the innovation. Well said. As a junior faculty is starting your own group, it's important to remember to have fun. It's important to remember to balance career with life. And important to remember that there is a community to help you. Right. As Talia said, that, that there is support system. You feel isolated in the beginning. You feel that you're, you don't, there is no one, to, no one there. Uh, you need to reach out, and then you'll soon realize that there are peers that can help you, the people who come just before you, the people in the department, support staff can help you. Your previous advisor can help you in, in guiding you in certain things, and your current a chair or the institute director can help you. And, of course, we have uh, our office that can help you by providing resources. So that you have to remember that you're not in isolation. And the... As a, uh, as a junior PI, um, we have invested in you and in your success, and we want you to succeed. So just reach out so that we can help you succeed, right? Help us help you. This podcast episode was a production of the Office of Academic Development and Enrichment at the Icon School of Medicine. We help junior faculty succeed by providing mentoring, collaboration, and leadership opportunities. For more information and upcoming events, visit our website, icon.mssm.edu slash about slash O-A-D-E. Thank you to Drs. Davey, Brusu, and Schwartz for taking the time to talk with us, and everybody at OAD. Most of all, thank you for listening. My name is John Earl. Take care out there. <laughs>